This is Julie at Dogcast Radio. If you like dogs, wherever you are in the world, we're the show for you. Hello and welcome to episode 253 of Dogcast Radio, which features two forces for good in the dog world. You can find all our podcasts and resources at dogcastradio.com. Later, we'll be hearing from Tracy Voss, founder of Oggy's World, who's helping owners tackle canine obesity and more. I wanted to create a bake-at-home mix for, for several reasons, really, to overcome the obesity issues, which are driven not from what you put in the meal, main meal. It's driven by extras. Before that... And you can choose to listen to this or not, because we're all about force-free today. Still here? Great. Good job. You're a good listener, you are. See what I did there? My first guest is Shannon Riley Coiner, who's a dog trainer who uses only force-free methods and is the best-selling author of The Evolution of Dog Training. Hi, Shannon. Hi. How are you? Great. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. And it's one of my favourite subjects because we're going to talk about force-free training. And I love it. I love it. And your book, The Evolution of Dog Training, I love that as well because when I got Buddy back in 2003, it was all um, go through the door first before your dog and make sure you pretend to eat out of your dog's bowl and, you know, all of this. And it made me think I was bringing a wild animal into the house that was going to try and usurp me and take over, you know. And and I lived with Buddy for a few months and then thought, do you know, actually, you just want to be loved and you want, you know, toys and food and just to be with us. And you're not this dangerous wild animal. The yes. first first trainer we went to wasn't that fantastic, in my opinion. Um, so, I mean, thank goodness it is evolving. So tell us, how is it evolving? Oh, yeah, it is amazing. You know, and I talk about it in my book, but I've also shared it when I interview with people is, you know, I was raised with Staffordshire Bull Terriers, you know, so pit bulls and, you know, a lot of people and they didn't have a lot of training, but we did stuff, but they didn't really live any kind of, you know, life, but we just kind of lived with them and they lived, I mean, they slept on my parents' bed. They slept with us. It was, but so I grew up with this idea that dogs are part of the family unconsciously. Yes. And, but they weren't really trained because they were, I was a baby, you know, and I grew up with them. So then when they passed, we ended up getting a yellow lab and, um, you know, she was a puppy and she was wild (laughs) and I was already fascinated with behavior, you know, and I loved, you know, at that time, I thought the only thing you could do with behavior was be a Shamu trainer, (laughs) you know, a a, a, a killer whale trainer, you know, like that was all I thought, but I got we did the training and, um, you know, this puppy needed training. So I signed up at the, just the local, you know, park, you know, kind of training. And first thing they say is everybody needs a choke chain. Yeah. And because we hadn't really trained my other dogs out, that was kind of a new concept to me, but I did it because that's what the trainer told me I had to do. Absolutely. And she was a yellow lab who was really good overall, but you know, had puppy moments. And so one time we were even in a class and she got a little wild And they said, you need to get a pinch collar for her. And my gut just like wrenched. And one of the other um, people that was in the class was a family friend and they had a pinch collar. So he said, here, just try it with her. I used it one time and she yelped and I said, no, thank you. And I gave it back and I put the choke chain back on. And then I said, okay, I have to figure out some ways to work with this dog so that 
Nobody tells me to do that again. So as a, you know, 15, 16 year old girl, like a total teenager, knowing nothing, um, I got up early every day before I went to school and I trained her every morning. Um, we walked, we did training in the front yard. We, I just did the practice and I started using treats, not even knowing what the heck I was doing, but I was like, okay, here's a treat for sitting or whatever. And my goal was the way that I was going to get around this using this choke chain was have her so good. And I worked with the trainer we had was an obedience trainer. So she worked with us to be off leash. So she taught us how to do that. And I was like, if she's off leash, then she'll never need to be popped because she knows what she's expected to do. And so I trained that dog to the point where I could go. I mean, sometimes the choke chain was on purely because I, it was required for the class, but I didn't have to use it anymore. And then as she got older, you know, we used the flat collar and we did those things. So this was my seed, you know, as, as a little girl going, or as a teenager, this isn't right. Went to college and I started volunteering in zoos Hmm. and I was like, wait a minute, (laughs) you don't use punishment on a killer whale or a dolphin or a lion or a, and I did see some abusive, aversive behavior on, especially the cats in when I was in the backs and I was like, but I noticed that those cats didn't cooperate as well. And they ended up sometimes being the dangerous cats that didn't get used in shows. Wow. And I didn't consciously know that this was all happening in my brain. I was just being aware. Yeah. And then I went to vet tech school after I got my degree in biology and I was already fascinated with behavior and I was training a dog that my um, husband and I had. And, um, they started asking me, Shannon, will you teach her the obedience classes? Because you seem to know it. And I said, well, I'll teach them as long as we get rid of all the choke chains. And at that time, general leaders were brand new. So I said, okay, let's use general leaders then. So I got the school to, they didn't get rid of all the choke chains, but they started transitioning to general leaders. And then I went to a conference and watched Dr. Karen overall. And I had had a dog aggressive dog. And she said, aggression does not treat aggression. In her, I was like, you know, in my twenties and I went, this is what I need. And that started me down the path of learning about Karen Pryor and Ian Dunbar and all these positive, amazing, you know, behaviorists. And because I was in the veterinary field, kind of gravitated towards the veterinary part. And then as, um, you know, I started teaching classes and I didn't have choke chains and I was kind of the weird one, you know, in my area because I didn't use these things. So then what I started to recognize is I would be talking to my clients who are, we call crossover. So if you're a crossover person, it means that you use the aversive traditional training and now you're crossing over to positive reinforcement or force-free. And I said, and I started talking to my clients about it. Like, well, this is how this started. This all started when, you know, in a hundred years ago, this is all we knew, but we know all these things. And I would have people who came to me, I am, I've always used a choke chain. I'm not changing, but I was changing them. And they were coming to me saying, oh my gosh, Anna, now I have a relationship with my dog. I love my dog. You need to tell more people about why this, we are where we are. And, and then, you know, we had some setbacks with TV trainers. Yes. Yep. That set <laughs> us backwards because we were on a really good trajectory of positive training. And then, you know, the mm. t- media inundated us with, aversive training again. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it was so, de- it was so depressing for most, all my friends who were positive trainers were like, Oh my gosh, you know, we were like 10 steps ahead. Now we're 20 steps back. And that's what made me start thinking about writing this book because 
my clients always tell me that I have an easy way of explaining things without like getting too, like, I understand the science in my head, but I can explain it in layman's terms. And that as a vet tech, that was one of my quote unquote gifts, I guess, you know, is that I can translate the science and say it to anybody. So that's why I started writing, you know, wrote the book was because I wanted to be able to make it possible for anybody in a non, and one thing that I take, and I know this isn't, I'm trying to train trainers this, you cannot be judgmental to these people and you have to understand where they come from. They're not hurting their, these people love their dogs. Mm. They just are not educated on how to do it positively. So some of my colleagues sometimes get really frustrated with clients who come to them with choke chains, pinch collars and, and stuff. And I take it as an opportunity to teach them in a kind, compassionate, empathetic way of, I get it. I, and I will tell them, I used choke chains when I was a teenager because I didn't know anything else. And now I've ne- I haven't used a choke chain in 30 years, yeah. you know? Um, so, but that's something that I wanted the book to come across as is not like you're a bad person because you did this. You know, you should never have a dog. You can't learn. Like I wanted them to see that. And we know so much that dogs have emotions and people don't always realize that just like you were saying, you know, Oh, these people with alpha and dominance theory think they have to come in and dominate them. Well, I want my dog to love me and wants to trust me and they can't trust you when you're not consistent, you know, with those positive, just like kids. I mean, my kids, if I'm always mean to them, they're not going to trust me. So, you know, that's kind of how the book came about, you know, it was just my experience of what I've learned and teaching other people and, and then going to conferences and talking to colleagues who were so mad at their clients or so, you know, and I, and I would say, well, I don't have that same problem. You know, my clients do cross over. Some take longer than others, but I can't convince clients to cross over. And then that started making me think about how I did it. And so then I just wrote, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I th- I, there's so much to talk about that. I don't know where to start, but I think you're absolutely right that you can't you can't go in all guns blazing and sort of you're wrong, you're a bad person, da, 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 because then they get angry, they shut down, you both get nowhere. Whereas if you sort yes. of, you know, the, the the longer I've done this and the longer the more people I've talked to, the more convinced I am that you, like, so for example, the first time I heard about crates. I just went, mm-hmm. I'm not putting my dog in a cage. Oh, my goodness. This, you know, And that was it. Then I started talking to a friend who'd got one and it saved her life and it saved the dog's life. And you kind of start thinking about it and you look at the science behind it. And actually, they like dens. And I was like, oh, this is a good thing. So we used a crate. But it's that, you, as you say, you, you need to be exposed to an idea and exposed to an idea and exposed to an idea and think it through. You know, and if, if somebody comes at you straight away, ah, you're, yeah, why don't you do this? you back off straight away. Whereas if it's just put to you as, have a think about this. This is, a yep. you know, then you start. That's such a good approach. I, I love that because that's how we achieve change, isn't it? For sure. And everyone has life experiences that we don't know. Yes. You know, like, you know, just looking at you or just looking at me, you don't know what my history is. You don't know what my life experiences is. You don't know what my childhood is. You don't know my education. And if I just assume I'm, you know, judging you without giving you that, you know, that feedback and, and you don't get anywhere. If you go in guns blazing, if they don't, aren't already bought into your philosophy, you're going to lose them. Yes. And then my 
experience is that it's not that I'm losing those people, which I would be, but I'm also losing that dog. And now that dog has less chance of having a, a more fair training. And it's just because they don't know, you know, I mean, my, in my book, I talk about, um, you know, you wouldn't go to it, you know, like when doctors were using leeches, you know, a hundred years ago for illnesses, they thought they were right, you know, and they, they didn't know anything else. We thought the world was flat because we just didn't know, because of course, if you look at the horizon, of course the world looks flat, but then we had to cut, we explored, we did the science, we learned and of course, it takes a little bit of time to transition, but you have to be open. And that's what I guess my scientific brain is always like open to new studies, you know, but I also don't buy into one study doesn't make me change because that also happens. You yes. know, yeah. there's one study. It's not repeatable. It, it was a very specific event. And then everybody jumps on that. That's what happens with the dominant theory. You know, they had that one study with wolves in captivity. It was totally wrong. And even when the scientists say we were wrong, people want to believe so much that they should dominate these dogs that they don't even want to hear what the scientists said about it. So, you know, I think being open and listening to people and um, being open to other people's opinions, you may not agree or you're not (laughs) kind of on a side note, like our world right now, you know, and yep. especially in the United States, we have all, I mean, it's across the world. There's yeah. so oh, here too, definitely. Yes. Yeah. Totally. Like, you know, you either believe this or that. And like, I have friends across the board of every political belief, you know, beliefs about, and my choice is to love that person for what I love about them. Mm-hmm. You know, I love their, you know, personality, or I love that there are things we have in common and maybe we don't agree politically, or maybe we don't agree on something, but as long as majority of it, we can get along good. I love that person for what that person offers me. I don't really, I just let that go. And that's where, as we start to be more empathetic and compassionate with each other, it's not only helping the dogs, but we're helping each other as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. It's, the science is there. As you say, the studies are there. We know, scientifically, we know that positive, force-free, giving them choice, all these things works, it's taking so long to trickle down. And even in the last, I'm just trying to think, last five years, um, I've spoken to someone who's got, actually a relative, who's who's had a puppy and been told about, you know, you've got to be an alpha. You know, and I've said, who told you that? And they've said, oh, the breeder. And I'm thinking, why isn't it getting through? Do you think, do you think it is that sort of, it's not being put gently enough to them? What do you think is going on? It is, it is fascinating because I get, I just had a client last week that came to me that they came from a trainer and she prefaced it with, she's a really good trainer. She was using a shock collar as a positive reinforcement. So when the dog says something good, she used this vibration, you know, she put it on vibrate and I could not wrap my brain around what that meant. So of course I didn't say this to the client. I didn't say like, I just went, that's an interesting philosophy. (laughs) And then we introduced a clicker and I said, how about you use the click and treat instead of that? So, but it is, we still have trainers. We still have, I mean, I have another client who I just saw this week, her, her first trainer told her every time the dog did something you didn't like, you were supposed to say, bah, bah. And I was like, okay, how it it didn't give the dog any information. And now this dog is struggling and confused. I think there's a couple of reasons people hold on to what they know. And if 
there's a cognitive bias. So if I grew up always using a choke chain or a pinch collar and it works, I'm not saying pain and aversion doesn't work because it does. It's just all the side effects of it. Yes. Yeah. And how it hurts your relationship and the dog. And and then now we're learning the physical, like choke chains and pinch collars physically hurt your dog, like esophagus, trachea. But I think there's a cognitive bias. So you don't, and you don't want, and I talk about this a little bit in my book is that if you say, wow, this force free stuff is right. And you're afraid to say yesterday when I believed in that choke chain or last week or last year or that month, I was wrong. Humans have a hard time accepting that they maybe weren't right sometimes. And Mm -hmm. that's my experience just personally, but science shows that, you know, we can hold on to something and believe something so strongly that we can't see it. So I think there's a piece of that um, that's there. Also just knowing humans and humans like to be in charge and control things. And as much as we want to deny it, a lot of um, you know, people want to be aggressively control things, you know, and, mm-hmm. and there's this feeling of if you don't control your dog and make them perfect, then you're bad or you're wrong. And, and so it's a control freak for lack of a better word thing that humans have as a, because it takes a long time to evolve to that. And if you were grown up in a childhood where your childhood was all about your parents controlling you that's what you take on unless you do the work to change your mindset of letting go, (laughs) you know, letting go can be hard. Yeah. But when you're doing force-free training, I mean, when I do loose leash walking, I'm always like, let the loose, the leash loose. And when they're first trying, I mean, people hold that leash so tight, like it's a death grip. And I'm like, you're not teaching your dog anything except how to feel that pressure. I want them to know how to walk nicely without that pressure. And that is hard for humans to let go because it's letting go control. It's letting, it's admitting that you were wrong in the past, that you've learned new ways. So, and then like we talked about a little bit is the media. I mean, we still have, it's more exciting to watch somebody control their dog with a choke chain or a pinch collar and get quote unquote faster results. So you might pop a dog once and they won't pull anymore but now you've done trachea damage, esophageal damage, mental damage, emotional damage, mm. all in one pop. Yeah. But it looks pretty on, you know, it it, it looks pretty because it's fast. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, mean, I, I, I just, I was lucky in that when we went to our first trainer who had, well, I won't say that because that's going to bias things. But anyway, when we went to our first trainer, he was an experienced trainer. And he said to, to me, but to all of us, to the class, you know, if the dog is going to come out of the crate, trying to come out of the crate and you don't want them to come out, shut the crate door on their face. And I just looked at my little, buddy was like this little black Labrador puppy of, I don't know, you know, three, four months. And I thought, how can, how on earth can I shut a metal door on this baby's face? Mm-hmm. And I just kind of went, no, I'm not doing this. And we moved on very quickly. Um And then the next problem I had, they, they were really good. The next um, trainers we went to, it was like a club who was smashing, but it wasn't real life training. So in the class, he would come back to me, he'd do a finish, he'd go around my back, he'd sit, he'd all of this. But when we were down at the park and there were kids playing with a ball, he wouldn't <laughs> come back, you know? So that then we had different problems. Um, but you know, I, I just, I think maybe go with your gut. And that's hard because if the trainer is telling you, they're the expert and they're saying, do this, do that, do the other. It's hard to actually say, to have that conversation and broach that with them and say, 
either why or even I don't want to do this and I'm going to go. It's You have to be brave with that, don't you? 100%. I mean, I can't even tell you how many clients that come to me. They had a dog who was shy or anxious and now was aggressive Yeah, because of these past trainings. And they spend thousands and thousands of dollars. And I can't tell you how many times I've said to my friends and my assistant, oh my gosh, if they would have just come to me the first time, like they would have saved money, their dog would have saved emotional pain and, you know, they would have saved pain, but it is, it's just hard. It is a very hard, I mean, you think about us in a, in a school setting, you know, if a teacher saying something that you don't agree with, it takes a lot of guts to be able to say, I'm not going to go, or I'm not going to do it. And um, that's a hard, a hard thing. And, you know, we'd be, we're working on it and it's making progress, um, but getting more licensing and more education where you can't just be a trainer. That's the other problem is some trainers have read a book or I've interviewed trainers who are like, well, I trained my dog. So I'm a, I'm a trainer. Now. I know. Yes. And it it's so hard, but it is, you have to just stand up to somebody and say, I don't really believe this. What I always tell my clients that you know, maybe if they go somewhere or they move, I say, you know what, you're your own, you're your dog's advocate. No one else is going to advocate yes. for your dog. Yeah. So if you don't believe in whatever they're doing, then you need to take them out of that situation, just like you will with your child. You know, um, a lot of times I tell people, you know, if, if my kids were doing something they didn't like, my daughter was in uh, a scouting group and the girls were kind of bullying her. So, you know, I had to stand um, and she started to cry, didn't want to go. So I mean, I had to be the brave mom and call the leader who happened to be my friend and say, my daughter doesn't want to go to your troop anymore because your, your daughter's bullying her. That was the hardest conversation to have, but my daughter was in tears, you know, and her self-esteem was being affected and her, you know, whole ability to like function in social settings was being affected. So sometimes we have to be brave, you know, and yeah. Um, I don't know if you've ever followed Brene Brown. She, you know, does all of her human stuff, but she talks about being vulnerable and being brave and being vulnerable is being brave and being courageous. And so I actually use a lot of Brene Brown's things. Now I take my human, I use a lot of human psychology and my dog training because it helps the people understand. Yeah. But she talks about that being brave, you know, being a leader, being vulnerable, you know, standing up for yourself. And I try to teach that to my clients too, that if they leave me, you know, they move away. If you don't like it, it's okay to leave. Yes, you may lose money. Who cares if it keeps your dog safe? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, the positive side of, you know, gentle methods. Again, I was lucky because we saw something called an alley-oop, like a target stick, you know, and we saw the dogs doing, on YouTube, doing amazing things. And I was just like... I want one. And this, this clicker training is amazing. And we have to do this. I mean, really, because I wanted to be able to show off with the dog, you know, I wanted Buddy to be able to do these tricks so I could show, <laughs> show off with him. And that's what, what, you know, that's what motivated me. I mean, obviously I wanted to have fun with the dog, but you know what I mean? I wanted to show off. With totally. Well. Um, but that's, if we can get that across to people, the feeling of being in a partnership with your dog yes. is amazing, isn't it? Yes. And I love it when you see dogs change. So I always tell people, you know, when you see a dog's in obedience confirmation or confirmation and you see the dog who's like, you know, doing the work, but there's no joy in their body movement. Yeah. You know, that dog was probably, you know, used with aversive techniques, mm-hmm. but you can tell the dogs like freestyle is a perfect example. When people dance with their dogs and they do those big dance routines and agility is the same way. How do you teach a dog to like 
you know, go over these jumps with a verse, a verse of, you can't. No, no. And so that's when they start to see these fun things that people do with their dogs. They do it with positive and it is so fun to do yes. it. And then you start, I think people start to have a, they get reinforced when their dog is happy. So it becomes a positive reinforcement cycle, yes. which, yeah. you know, you get the person does, but um, sometimes people don't understand it. Or then, you know, you get people, well, I don't, I'm not coordinated enough to use the clicker or I'm not this, or I don't want to give food for the rest of my life. And sometimes it's like, well, you wouldn't yeah. go to work if you weren't getting a paycheck. Absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> so yeah. Why should your dog do this for you every day? You know? Yeah. And we talk about in humans, love languages, you know, relationships don't work if we're not filling each other's bank accounts, emotional bank accounts. So if treats fill your dog's emotional bank account, then give them to them. I mean, if your husband, you know, loves chocolate, then you're going to keep, or wife loves chocolate. You might buy him chocolate more, you know, yeah. like it's <laughs> just what we do to build relationship. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's, that's at the heart of it, isn't it? That you, you want the relationship with the dog. You, you know, that's why I got a dog because, well, I love dogs and I just wanted my, a dog of my own to sort of really love and love me back. Saying that, Tell me a little bit about your dogs. Yes, my dogs. So I currently have two. I have a lab mix because I'm also oh, a lab lover. Yes. <laughs> um, and so he's captain is 13. He was born at my house because his mom, I did lab rescue Yeah. back then. And she was, because I'm a vet tech, they needed somebody who could whelp them. So he was, we had, you know, he was one of six who was born at my house and I was looking for an agility dog. So um, I had all six of them at five weeks old learning sit and going through tunnels. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, who's going to like agility? Who has that natural drive, but not too much. Like oh, I no, wasn't no, I know. border collie, yeah. but just yeah. enough. So yeah. there were two, Captain and Jasper. And um, Jasper was a little barky. And I was like, I don't really want to deal with a talker. And Captain was just perfect. So I kept Captain and then started training him. He did weave poles from the time we competed on his 18th birth, 18 month birthday. Cause that yeah. was the first you could compete in agility. And, you know, he became a family dog. He was my Karen Pryor Academy um, training partner. So yeah. we did all the Karen. So he learned all kinds of tricks and he, <laughs> so he, that's partly why he's such a great dog, but because we did so much intense training, yeah. um, but he's now 13. Uh, about eight months ago, he tried to jump on the bed and hurt his back mm-hmm. pretty badly. Like he hurt a disc. And so his retirement day, he, he wasn't competing anymore, but we were still playing mm-hmm. in agility. Mm-hmm. He had to stop agility completely because that's, you know, um, so he, but he's still okay. I mean, he's deaf and getting old, but he still sleeps with me every night and he's with me and he, you know, he's yeah. my buddy. Oh, um, and then Scout was also a rescue. So and the way I get puppies, because <laughs> I like getting puppies, but I don't want to go to a breeder. So I am always like, I'll foster some puppies. <laughs> and so then I pick them. And um, so Scout was one of four female puppies that came to my house. I think there were about four weeks when they came. And mom was not a good mom. So mm. she was picking on them. So as soon as we weaned them, my mom found a new home. And then um, Scout, the other ones were a little more moms, like kind of pushy personality. And I was like, oh, I don't really want that. But Scout worked out. So she ended up, and I tried her in agility. Scout is so funny. She's all about herself. She loves me. Like I could walk on water, but, but she's like, "Mm, agility. If you give me a treat after every jump, sure. I'll do agility (laughs) for you, mom. I'll do all the stuff. 
but I have no drive. Oh. And so she, um, but so she's my snuggler, you know, we, I love her and, um, you know, so, and Jack Russell's are my second favorite. So labs and Jack Russell's are my, my two breeds. Yeah. And so she, you know, now she's eight or nine. I think she just turned nine. I think she just had a birthday, but it, with three kids and dogs, it gets confusing <laughs> after a while. <laughs> and, um, but yeah, so she now just, you know, lives her, you know, happy life. She loves to chase flies and, you know, she, they, they are so easy though, because yes. I started them off. They had to learn manners, but they also learned lifestyle, you know, choices. So, um, like captain's big. And, um, so I don't always, he has to be invited on the couch, but scout knows she can be on the couch. She's small and stays out of the way, but they sleep on the bed with me, but they also know they have to go to, they can't beg at the table. Like we just have, just like my kids have the house rules mm-hmm. and, I, they're easy. I mean, my yes. dogs are so easy now. And as they're getting older, I'm thinking, oh gosh, it's going to be puppy time again yeah. soon. <laughs> and, exactly. And it's yeah. a little overwhelming because I'm like, but my dogs are so easy now. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, they are an extension of my, you know, family and, and I love them, you know, to death. And, um, you know, They, I, my future dog will also, I, they have, I want them to enjoy agility because that's one of my passions, but I'm also open for them doing other things too. And they don't have to be perfect. That's probably another thing that people get mistaken is I'm a trainer and I've trained my dogs and, and I actually right now, usually I have at least one misfit, you know, that I inherited or adopted because, or somebody gave to me. That's like, Oh gosh, this is not, this is the embarrassing dog to take in public. I know you mean. Yeah. (laughs) But these two are really good dogs and they're easy, but they're not perfect. You know, I sometimes have to remind them, no, you can't be in the kitchen right now, or no, you can't, you know, do that. Or, you know, I have to redirect them, but we have, what I always tell my clients is we have language because I have taught them words, sit down, come stay, leave it, drop it, you know, Mm -hmm. out lots of words and hand signals, because now that captain's deaf, you know, we had done hand signals. Yeah. We just, I can do a hand signal and he knows what I'm talking about. I can, you know, you know, we just have a communication, but that's where training. Sometimes people go, I don't want to even train my dog. Where I try to tell people, it's not just training. You're there. You're teaching them English as a second language or Spanish as a second language or, you know, French as whatever language you're speaking. Yeah. But you're teaching them how to communicate with you. And so for me, like people will say, well, what's the difference between leave it and drop it? And I'm like, leave it means leave it alone. Don't touch that. Like I would my kids at a store of fancy China. Don't touch anything. You know, drop it is you pick that up and I don't want you to have it. Put it down, you know, and but having that dictionary in my head so we have clear communication is super yeah. important for me. Yeah. yeah, I think that's the thing. As long as you know what those words mean, because the dog only knows those words because of the context you give it. So, for example, you know, I used to leave it for me. I used to say leave it to the dog, which meant just just put it on the floor. And then I used to say, yes, you can have it or no, you can't. So our dogs, I mean, actually, in practice, what it came down to was they actually learned that what have you got meant meant just drop it on the floor and then they could have it back or they could have a treat. And in fact, the dog we have now, Mischief, she is super, super intelligent and uh, Buddy and Star were intelligent, but but this dog, she's a German Spitz client. So she's learned that, you know, what have you got or, or leave it? She puts it on the floor. And then if you say, okay, you can have it, she'll be like, 
but I want the treat as well because I did drop it and I deserve it. <laughs> so yeah, she can get the thing back and have a treat. And also she's a little monkey because she will go around the house and find like a toffee paper or, you know, whatever. <laughs> and she'll bring it and put it in front of you and look at you like, I left it. Look, I need a treat. <laughs> you know, <laughs> she's too yes, clever. I have. <laughs> they are so, some dogs are so perceptive about patterns that we do yes. and what they, I had a um, Springer Spaniel that I worked with once that we taught drop it because he was bringing in bark from the house, from the backyard and he was running around. So they taught him drop it. Well, he did. He started to learn, oh, I'll run out and get a piece of bark. So you'll <laughs> give me a treat. And I was like, oh, okay, we have to like break this chain of behavior down so it's not go search for it it's just the you know dropping it part um but and the smarter they are you know the harder it is sometimes and I also find they're also the ones that become more fearful faster because they learn oh I can learn sit down come really fast but I also learn that that garbage can scared me or you know those pans fell that one time or and they learn the fear faster too yeah sometimes is the hard part when I'm working with a quote unquote aggressive dogs. It's like, Oh, your dog is really smart. And they learn what's safe and not safe in one experience instead of, you know, where the dogs who maybe aren't as smart or just a little more easygoing, you know, they could have something bad happen 25 times and they still are like, Oh, should I watch out for cars? You know, I've been hit 25 times, but I'm still not afraid of cars. And then I have a smart dog who almost gets hit by a car, you know, and is afraid of cars for the rest, you know, until we work Mm. on it. Yeah. So they are, they're so perceptive of our world. Yeah. Because you specialize in, I should say, in 2006, you founded Ventura Pet Wellness and Dog Training Center, and you specialize in fearful and unsocialized dogs, don't you? Yes, I work with a lot. So I teach puppy class to help prevent them (laughs) from coming to me at a year to a year and a half, you know, with aggression. But I work with... Um, probably 90% of my private clients are there some kind of fear, anxiety, um, reactivity, mm-hmm. you know, it all, it varies. So I have some dogs that come to me that have to wear a muzzle or they would bite me. Um, I have some dogs that come to me that don't want to have anything to do with me, you know, for a couple sessions um, and everything in between. So I have, you know, the dog who bites, who will fight to the death with another dog who will bite you out of the blue. Um, then I have dogs who just want to avoid and shut down and hide. So they go through all of them, fight, flight, and freeze. You know, we do, I work with all of those dogs and, and I really try to educate people too, because they come to me and they're like, Oh, my dog's aggressive. My dog's bad. And one of the first things I teach them is they're not bad. They're just scared. They're afraid. They're, and there's so many reasons that they can have it. It could be genetic. It could be lack of socialization or it could be trauma And, um, I try to always put things in human perspective, like, okay, if your parents were both addicts, you know, of whatever you have a higher propensity to be an addict just because of your genetics, or if both of your parents had anxiety or fear, you're more likely to have that genetically than socialization. You know, if you were lived in a, you know, back when I was young homeschooling, there was no, not a lot of socialization. So people who were homeschooled that are my age, have a harder time with social situations because they didn't learn it when they were, you know, young. Now, so homeschooling is so much more prominent than it's like that, but that socialization was, was struggled. I mean, it was, it was the problem. And then there's trauma Um, and trauma could be minor. It could be, you know, a really scout scared, scary sound. My Jack Russell got afraid of the fire alarm sound once because it 
went off and it scared her and she became afraid of it. You know, my lab captain was afraid at the vet office when he got neutered, they scooped him up. The vet, the receptionist, not thinking anything of it. He's a puppy and he got scared. And then he was afraid of her. I had to do work to untry. And it wasn't, she didn't hurt him. He just got startled. You know, um, people can get in a car accident and never want to drive again because of trauma. So we don't always know how trauma is going to affect us or our dogs. I find that if there's genetic anxiety and lack of socialization, trauma is, you know, harder, just like, you know, because they don't have that resilience. Yeah. Um, just like with people, if they have genetics, some dogs are just born resilient, you yes. know, they had resilient yeah. parents and it's like, they didn't get socialized. You know, they have all these bad things happen and they're just like, I'm cool. And then there's the other dogs who they did all the socialization. They do all the stuff. They've never had trauma and they're scared to death most of their life. So we have to look at all those components and not just, it drives me crazy when I get somebody gets a rescue. And the first thing they say is they must've been abused mm. um, because they're afraid. And I'm like, they could have, if we don't know their history, it's possible, but not at most dogs that I deal with the people have known them most of their life. Captain, I know his whole, I mean, I watched him be born yeah. and he became afraid and someone could say he was abused when he was afraid of the vet, but he wasn't, he just, he just got scared. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So it's, it's, there's so many, I, that's why I love it. I mean, I feel like I could probably do this for the rest of my life. Cause I'm always fascinated about learning and helping and it's, it's totally my passion. Yeah. Yeah. I can tell. I can, do you know what? We, we could talk for a long, long time. <laughs> for sure. For really, sure. really interesting. But with one eye on, on the time, um, I know this is a vast subject. Is there anything else that you'd like to say before we finish? What do people need to know? You know, it's, I get asked this quite a bit when I do interviews or when I talk to people and really it comes down to it. I realize something that's in both my mission statements for my local business, Venture Pet Wellness, and for Truly Force Free Animal Training is we have to have compassion and empathy, not only for our dogs that are the learners, but we have to have compassion and empathy for ourselves because we are also learners. So um, whether it's your first time dog owner or you're someone like me who's had dogs your whole life. I am always learning and my dogs are always learning and we're learning together. So sometimes I'm going to make a mistake. So that's going to make my dog make a mistake or my dog's going to make a mistake and I'm not going to understand. And when we can be compassionate and go, I got to do that different, or I got to try that a different way, or maybe we need to, you know, take a break. Maybe I'm moving too fast for him or, you know, I'm moving too fast for myself. You know, I've done that to myself. Like I've taken a online dog class before and, oh, I know how to do this. And next thing I know, me and my dog are frustrated. And I go, okay, Shannon, baby steps. I always tell people, don't go from kindergarten to college. You got to take all the steps in between. So I think having empathy and compassion, dog trainers talk about that a lot for having empathy and compassion for the animal. But we have to have empathy and compassion for ourselves as learners as well, because um, if we don't, the frustration just builds up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, so. totally agree. Um, and 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 then it gets a vicious circle, doesn't it? Because you get cross with yourself, and then that transmits to the dog, and the day it's just no. So um, yeah, one of the interesting things I found was when I was doing some training was seeing my trainer, who to me was the expert. So for example, my my obedience trainer um started she got a new dog and she started to show the dog so then she came to the ring craft class where i was and she was a beginner at ring craft and you know uh-huh. and and to see her learning and that was fascinating you know and that was really interesting um, when 
I do videos, um, you know, for my Truly Force Free, um, the website, um, I tell my video people who edit it, you know, don't edit out all the mistakes because I want people to know that it's not always perfect. That's one thing that happens on the TV shows that are, you know, it looks like everything's so perfect and no one makes a mistake, but that makes my, my students and the, the people who are learning think that if they make a mistake, they're doing it wrong because yeah. my timing's off. I was teaching puppy class last night and I got my clicker timing wrong. And I just said to the class, I clicked wrong, you know, and let's try this again because that eases everybody's perfectionist expectations, you know, and then we can all have fun learning instead of being so stressed about being perfect all the time. Yeah. Which is what it should be. I I, I love that. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Absolutely. Where can people find out more about you online? They can go to trulyforcefree.com. And that's where I have all kinds of videos and online there's virtual training available, but there's webinars and courses. And if they have questions, they can go to info at trulyforcefree.com to email us. And, you know, we check emails Monday through Friday. So, you know, you can get back. There's also Facebook, Instagram, um, you know, Pinterest. We're on all the social media platforms because everybody's a little different because there's so many generations, you know, yeah. I'm a more of a Facebook girl because yes. I'm in my forties. <laughs> I'm not as much of an Instagram girl, but we have all that because I want to be able to touch everybody. So those are the best ways to be able to contact us. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you very much. And and the best of luck and give your dogs a fuss from me. Thank you so much for having me. And um, and it was great. It was wonderful talking to you today. I really enjoyed that. Thanks to Shannon. And thank goodness dog training has evolved and is still evolving. We have the links Shannon mentioned at dogcastradio.com. And if you have a story to tell about the power of kind, reward-based, force-free training, I'd love to hear it. You're listening to Dogcast Radio on www.dogcastradio.com. Tracy Voss loves big dogs and has a big passion for animal welfare and making our companion animals as happy and healthy as possible. She's engaging with dog owners through Oggy's World and the character of Oggy, their mascot. Well, Oggy's World started with Oggy's Oven, which is a best-your-own dog treat mix. And it was driven, I'm an incredibly animal-passionate person, absolutely incredibly. And so my my heart is in all of my brands. Um, And I wanted to create a bake-at-home mix to for, for several reasons, really, to overcome the obesity issues, which are driven not from what you put in the meal, main meal. It's driven by extras. We probably all know that. Even humans know that. I just think um, that, that's, the, that's true of me, isn't it? In fact, the meals aren't too bad. It's when you go, oh, I just have another one of these and another one of these. Yes, yeah. And as I'm sure you and everybody who's listening, all your lovely listeners will agree, Dogs don't have eyes like that for nothing. Yes. yes. That <laughs> I'm starving, feed me look is very well honed skill in a dog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I created Doggy's Oven to bake a home mix, no additive, no preservative, something that would give the consumer control over portion size as well. So it's a healthy, nutritional treat that you, the consumer, can control the portion size and that was the original drive and then I was really really lucky 
to get some wonderful support from, from the team at Credit Force, which provided me with the investment to create Oggy's World. And that's where the true heart of the brand can come out. And we can start to use that world as an, as an education platform. And to start that with the young younger generation um, and to start to educate people about not just nutritional items but about what does it take to buy a good dog collar or a dog a good dog coat um it's so Augie's world is more than product it's about love heart and education yeah yeah I love that I love that we'll, we'll come back to that definitely um you're right that's so important who is Augie so Augie um, we created, because as I say, I wanted to really engage with the younger generation. And let's face it, the youngsters sitting listening to an adult talking, it's not really great engagement, is it? And you're not no. going to have an attention span for very long. So we, I wanted to create a character that, would, that the children would engage with. Now, when I say that, I, I say it with a smile on my face, because when we've done events with Augie, we've got Augie the mascot. I think he's been photographed more with grandma and granddad <laughs> than he has with the children. Um, so Augie, Augie was just, he was just a character that was created. He was drawn for us and it was a way to engage with the audience. So particularly, as I say, the younger members um, and, and to just help get basic animal welfare messages over to the children who are future pet owners. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, I mean, you've answered my next question, really, because it, that's why it's so important to get children's attention, isn't it? Because if they, it's harder to, to, to win adults over sometimes. If you can get the children, get the right message to the children, sometimes the children kind of nag the adults then and go, do you know what? We shouldn't be giving this chocolate to the dog or whatever. It's, it's so important to get the children, isn't it? It is. And, and I suppose... Quite a few of your listeners have probably heard, Mom, Mom, Dad, I want a dog. Can we get a dog? Can we get a dog? Um, and then you, you you can hear the parents going, who's going to look after this? Who's going to have to do the walks? You can hear all this going on in, 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 in Mom and Dad's mind. Um, so what I wanted to do was to, by creating Augie, by creating this family activity, it, you can engage the child with care for that pet yes. so they can get a sense of responsibility for looking after the dog that they so wanted. Um, and it's not just about a walk. It's about feeding and nutrition and engagement. And nothing is nothing says love like homemade biscuits. Yeah, you know, we all know that as a human. Um, and it, it, it's just, yeah, Oggy is a fantastic character. And, and I hope that going forward, Oggy's world will use Oggy, the character, to do great, great things for animals and continue to do the voice and continue to carry my passion to make a difference to animals' lives because that's what it's all about. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely, de- definitely. Now, you used to work for the Blue Cross, didn't you? And funny enough, Buddy was um, a Blue Cross education dog. And so we went into schools and we did, um, we had a pack of ideas and, and visual aids and things. And I think there were puppets as well. And, but when you start having conversations with, with, um, with children about animals, you, you find out, so you have these little insights, don't you, into, into they're much more than you think, just, just about animals. But also, if you, maybe they haven't 
thought of animals as having needs or some, you know, you're the first one to put that idea in their head and make, and, and give them that idea. So for example, I can remember, um, loving, loving dogs. But the, you know, there, there were dogs and humans and because that was, that was my family's attitude. And I remember the first time we, I, I saw like a dog treated as a, as a human in a way in that we went to my aunt's, great aunt's house and some tea was spilt on one, on, it was a basset, Charlie, his name was. And my aunt went and got Savlon. And Charlie was really milking it. He was like, oh, oh, you know, and she was putting Savlon on his back. And that was the first time I saw a dog treated, you know, equivalent with humans kind of thing. Not that anybody ever mistreated them, but, you know, to treat them equivalently. And that really just lit a fire in my little head. And I was like, oh, wow, this is amazing. And I think the more that you can share that with animals and uh, sorry, with children and let them see your attitude to animals and dogs. And it really, really, hopefully lights a fire for them, doesn't it? It does. Yeah. And I mean, blue cars, my favourite subject, absolute favourite subject, because what a tremendous organisation. Yes. Yeah. And one of my talking personally now, um, my my big goal in life is to I feel on Remembrance Day that we should be remembering four-legged soldiers the way that we remember two-legged. I feel that's very, very important. And at the moment, we don't do that. Um, And what I, my drive to to make a difference to the charities is obviously to help dogs today. Um, But Blue Cross is just that little bit different because Blue Cross, of course, was started First World War, the side of Red Cross, of course, Red Cross providing that support for the human soldiers and Blue Cross, the support for the the injured animals. Um, And that that is just so close to my heart. So, so close to my heart. They are tremendous charity. But the other part of, of what Blue Cross does is they take education to that next level. And the fact that they wanted to engage with Augie to help them during their education program prior to the lockdown when they were seeing around about 120,000 students a year. They were going around the schools, their team of volunteers, and they had a 40-minute session. And then we go back to that, how do you engage and interact with a child, particularly for that that length of time. So Augie created a great character to front that education and I was super super proud to be able to do that with them and drive the messages that is behind Augie as well so they helped basic animal welfare but also let's look at obesity think about what you're feeding your dogs you know come on children not all foods are healthy let's teach them about why chocolate is is dangerous onion family products grapes they need to know this because as we go back to those beautiful puppy dog eyes again a child's eating a cupcake and then shares it and doesn't understand so it's all those messages and so blue cross from an educational point of view i really do feel are leading the way and as a dog owner myself um and also as a business owner wanting to be the voice of these animals it's it's our responsibility to ensure that we, we we make sure that all educational messages are out there as much as we possibly can through every channel that we can do that. And I'm not talking about a soapbox. 
we're getting on a soapbox, but through the products that we produce, through the way that we feed, through the way that we engage. It's just an all-encompassing educational journey. Um, And Blue Cross are exceptional at that. Yeah. Wonderful charity. Wonderful charity. They are. Yeah, I've got a very soft spot for them. They are very good. You mentioned obesity there, and it's hard enough to to feed yourself the right thing. And I, I sometimes think if I had an owner that would or an advocate or whatever you however you want to put it that would sort of just feed me just the right things and go that's enough for you that I'd probably be in better shape but but the more I learn about the way weight affects our dogs the more it brings home to me how important it is so I mean even early I know you know that that term puppy fat I was interviewing a a doctor recently a, a, a vet about how weight affects puppies and, and they're developing skeleton and that can have such an effect so early on. So, and it's so important to keep them at that healthy weight all the way through for joints and for heart and for longevity. They, they live so much longer. It is really important, isn't it? And, and you do address that with your products, don't you? Well, Arc is ideal for weight management, as, as I said earlier on, because you have that control over the portion size. So if your dog's waistline perhaps needs a little bit of help, um, we can bake it a little bit smaller. The other thing you can do with Oggy, which is what gives it absolute optimum flexibility, is that we've got something here where we've got the choice to add superfoods. So my recommendation, let's put some spinach in. Let's put some blueberries. Let's put some raspberries in it. Let's get those good antioxidants into into the dog. And what you're doing here, and and you're baking a treat at quite low temperature. If we look at the commercial market, some kibbles are fired up to 300 degrees. One has to question what goodness is left in those ingredients as an end result. So what we've got here with Oggy is, is, is an ideal tool to help with that, that obesity and, and, and the ability to add those superfoods and have great fun with it as well with the kids. Yeah, yeah. Because I love that when you, you know, thinking back to when Jenny was was little, you do, again, with your own children, you have such wonderful conversations when they're just thinking about what they're doing with the, the mixing bowl or the dough or whatever it is, you know. And things come out. They tell you things. You do. You build that bond. You, you. You. It's. It's. It's brilliant, isn't it? It's just. Yeah. It's just wonderful. It's wonderful to see over the years. Um, I mean, Oggy's ten this year. Wow. Um, so it's. It's wonderful to see. Look back sometimes and see all the little videos and the images that we've been sent of the kids absolutely having a whale of a time baking these biscuits talking to the dog at the same time and and that bonding that's happening and therefore what that bonding will create will create love and commitment and therefore hopefully we will start to reverse some of these worrying trends that that the charities are reporting the child in the family abusing the family pet for social media Mm. And that is that is we talk about Blue Cross and I was horrified when they were telling me they'd had an influx of black cats. It's an example. And I said, why black cats? And they said the number one reason is that they don't show up on selfies. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And that is that resonates. And you start to realise that the modern world today it's not necessarily a great world for our pets. We have to make sure that it doesn't erode 
the years of effort that's taken to make the dog part of the family, any pet part of the family, part of that family. And we mustn't forget that. We mustn't allow new trends to erode that message. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a really, really important point to raise because when when you can read the dog's body language, you know, some of it, not all videos, obviously, but some videos, I'm just so on edge and I can't watch because you're going, this dog is stressed. It It's clearly saying, get me out of here. This is a bite you know, a trigger here. And it worries, like you say, you can't, we all like sharing pictures of our animals online, but it, it, once that becomes the driving factor and I've got to have a dog that looks good online, it, you know, it's, it's just, it's, as you say, it's, it is eroding the, the place that dogs have in our hearts and our, our families. And it's, you it know, is, it's not the, the big, the be all and end all, is it? It isn't. And I look, you probably gathered, I love, my animals and I look at what dogs give us I look at what service they've given the service they continue to give whether you're blind or you're deaf or you're lost under rubble Mm -hmm. the horse is the same and all the other animals that that we use in different ways to help us in our life we need to respect that and, and show that back because they give it willingly and we need to to it's full of love and and we need to give that back in every way that we can. Yeah, definitely. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Um, and they, you know, working animals have a wonderful life, don't they? You know, they, they're looked after. They have company all the time. They have vet care. They, you know, they're trained. Um, and they do. Have, and they go, of course, they go everywhere with their, well, most places with their owners as well, with their partner. Um, they have a wonderful life, don't they? We, and we, and you, as you say, we need to respect that. That's a, a wonderful thing. That's a, a great point, point as well. I mean, let's face it, respect is a, it's, it's becoming a bit of a dormant word, really. Yes, and we all, whether that be respecting an animal, respecting each other, respecting the planet, it can all come back to that lovely key word of respect, mm. which was taught to me by my grandparents. And it's, it's, it's one of my cornerstone um, understandings of how we approach life and how we approach each other others and animals and then it does come down to respect greater respect for everything and everybody yeah definitely i mean saying that the pet industry is is big business we know that and i mean i I do other things i do some pr for, for some other companies and i know that people are willing to spend on their their dogs their their pets it's it can be quite an exploitative um industry you know, when you well, some of the articles, when I start to look into the reasons behind things and the science behind things, you think, "Oh my goodness, this is uh, this is not what I thought." But you, genuinely, your drive, as you say, it's respect and it's love for animals, isn't it? That's where you come from. It is, and I mean, I'm this year marks twenty five years in the industry. Wow! And I can tell you that over those years, I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly, yeah. and. I can say, unfortunately, in my opinion, there is an awful lot of bad because they're putting profit before pet. Yeah. yeah. And as an industry, we have a moral obligation to be the voice of these animals that cannot speak for themselves. We are in the strongest position to do that. We must remember that. And don't get me wrong, we need to make money. Making money enables us to develop new products. 
But for me, it's about enhancing the quality of the dog's life or the human's life. If it doesn't do that, don't do it. Mm. Um, and I look, I, I could cite lots and lots of products um, that are developed. And I think, why? Yeah. The dog does not need this product. I mean, I've been to trade shows and I've seen nail polish for dogs. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we're back to that children message again. And I always have, have a great saying. And I'll say, when I was at school, I spelt dog D-O-G, not D-O-L-L. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it's, we do have a responsibility through the products that we're producing to make sure the message is clear. They are, the, the products that they need are far different from those that the human will buy by their eye, i.e. dog coat should have a number. I could speak forever about dog coats, but a dog coat at the end of the day is there for the warmth or shower protection look for the key characteristics of a good dog coat it doesn't need to be a denim jacket or a leather bomber coat or, or whatever the latest fashion might be um so yeah the what we have with the pet industry is this enormous commercial wheel mm. and everybody goes round it like a hamster and what we are what i am is saying no stop i'm not joining that wheel because we're here our heart remains with the pet yeah yeah that's brilliant i love it is there is thankfully there are growing numbers of of people like you who are looking at things differently and as you say still making a profit well we you know we've all to make a living but not exploiting i think that's the thing it's you know the the there's a there's a saying that the 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 dream and the dog and and you've got to you, you you um you've got to value the dog more than the dream have the dream but value the dog more um and and i think that's when you start valuing the pound over the pooch or the dollar over the dog or whatever you know that's when you're going to get into to problems in whatever field whether it's you're making products you're breeding dogs whatever it is um that's for me where the line is um, i mean i think as an industry as well we the problem you have with with pet industry it's very much i suppose like for for babies your it's the owner doing the buying yes not your actual ultimate audience so what what's actually happened and certainly as i've seen over the years the products and toys is a very very good example will make them look cute because that will appeal to the human's eye it might last two minutes yeah because it's not durable um and it's not fit for purpose but it looks attractive and i think that's that's the core one of the core problems is that they've forgotten who their real audience is yes yeah absolutely and i mean the, the food sometimes you see it made all different colors and different little shapes and everything and you think well yes it looks very pretty but is it what really what they need and it allows selective feeding and all this kind of thing and yeah it's it's when you start waking up to it it's it's horrible because it poses i mean it's good but it's it's good for the dog but it's horrible for you because it makes you it gives you so many dilemmas, doesn't it? About you start looking at things with a new eye and thinking, is this good? Is this bad? What's, and you try, you get media savvy and you think, oh my goodness, they are trying to exploit me. And it, then there's so much choice. It's a dilemma, and isn't it? And that's, that's one of my, uh, uh, now we've got Oggy's world and we've got that base to start to educate. 
right from the back, what to look for in a, dog, a good dog collar, yeah. about nutrition, um, we can start to have a platform to get those messages and try and cut through that confusion. Because I look around trade shows, I look around the industry, and I think, my word, if I didn't know, if I was just a, a normal general consumer, I would be overwhelmed yeah. and I wouldn't know what was right. Um, and the messaging is quite mixed as well when you start to look at the messaging across the industry. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, Augie's world has really got a big job to do. And I'm very, very proud to be able to do that now and, and, and to be able to educate not just about nutrition, but about all the other products that, that every dog owner wants to buy a good collar, a coat, a, a grooming tool, whatever that might be, toy. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, now you've, you've certainly got an audience. We, we have listeners. If you can think of a country, we've got somebody listening there. What countries is Oggies in? Because you've gone fairly, fairly worldwide, haven't you? Yes, I mean, Oggie. A few years ago, um, at what always I'm always looking to improve the base recipe um, and to make sure it's, it provides optimum nutrition. Um, and what I uh, looked at was to improve the protein source. And flaxseed is an incredibly good protein mm. source. So what we did was we changed the uh, dried egg, which was providing the protein in the mix, with flaxseed. Yeah. Now, by definition, that made Oggy vegan oh, wow. because yes. there's no animal derivatives in the mix. See? And therefore, the world opened up because some countries um, probably aware that America is a good example. Their uh, import legislation is very, very tough. So now that Augie is uh, animal derivative free, it makes uh, exporting super easy or easier. Um, yes. <laughs> and therefore, so we, we've concentrated on the UK market initially. Um, we have um, Augie going into France in August actually it's a big dog market as well um and we've we're in talks with Canada and America he's in New Zealand Netherlands so yes great great interest and and um he's he's very well received people love the story behind Oggy they love the flexibility of Oggy that control and that ability to add those superfoods, as we said earlier. And one of the great things with Oggy as well, which we mustn't forget, is with the biscuit mix, you just add water. One of the top tips I always say to anybody using Oggy is if you've been steaming vegetables or fish, use the water at the bottom of your steamer to make your biscuits because the nutrients that are in that water will then be transferred to the biscuits so it makes a great boost to those biscuits as well yeah yeah absolutely i mean what why you say that maybe talk me through so we, we when we go and buy our packet of oggies we literally we, i know you said we can add other things but we can just add water and then pop it in the oven yeah, so with the with the biscuit mix, so you've got two two products here. So you've got the biscuit, which has only got 30 calories in it. Okay, so we eat them in the office. The key thing as well with Oggy is that it's made, I don't agree, we shouldn't have human food chain and a pet food chain. Yes. 
Yeah. If they're yeah. part of the family, they're part of the family. And Oggy, I'm very proud to say, is made in the human food chain, so completely regulated by human regulations, and therefore safe for you to eat. So we've often enjoyed them in the office because, let's face it, 30 calories, happy days for yeah, biscuits. absolutely. Um, so the, the, the biscuit's got 30 calories when, when you make it to its normal size. Obviously, if you want to make it a bit smaller, less calories in it. So it's a complete mix. Everything is in there. All the consumer has to do is to add the water and bake them and then you have 20 fresh made biscuits that will keep fresh for around about 10 days wow obviously you can add to them if you wish yeah and then the cakes um they're a bit more of a special treat because they've got 80 calories in so maybe if it's his birthday can be a treat um and you need with the cake you need to add oil as well um i'm quite sure all of your listeners are aware, but obviously must, must, must be vegetable oil because dogs can't have, should not have olive oil. Excellent. Right. Yeah. Great. Very good. It sounds really, really good. Um, I'm going to get a pack and make some for mischief and <laughs> make some little ones because she's got a very little mouth. Um, that'd be interesting. I, I, I might do videos for uh, social media for that. That'd be, that'd be really good. Um, <laughs> now, you're not just a dog person. We we have three cats at Dogcast Radio, um, and um, I think we've talked about them before. And you came up with a brilliant cat product during lockdown. I'm, I'm going to include this because I know other people listening will have cats as well, and it's such a super product. It's amazing. So, and I mean, I love this about you re- were really productive during lockdown. I just sat around and did a few Sudokus and did some knitting, you know. So tell me about the, the cat. <laughs> Well, I'm, you know, I cannot believe I'm sitting here talking to you and saying I've invented a cat product. <laughs> Being such a huge dog lover, don't tell the cats that. <laughs> um, but yes, so as I said before, 25 years in the industry, cat litter is it's an environmental nightmare as yes. it stands at the moment. It's also an owner's nightmare because don't want to be lugging 10 kilo sacks of gravel around um so i use the time during like as you say you could sit there on the sofa and eat far too many biscuits oh i've done that been there (laughs) wonder when it's all going to end um or use that time productively and that gave me the time to create the world's first ever eco-friendly compact cat litter and this is made from the discarded husks from the coconut industry and what many people don't know is that the husk of a coconut is one of the most absorbent materials known to man so those fibers will trap liquid inside and keep the surface dry so cause a light bulb moment for me this makes a fantastic cat litter so huskaloo was created Hence the name husk from a coconut, a loo, as in toilet. Um, So husk loo is created and it's 90% smaller, 90% lighter than than traditional clay cat litter. The box is the size of a cereal box, weighs less than two kilos, will last a cat owner with one cat with a standard litter tray two months out of that little box. Um, it's wow. naturally hyperallergenic, no dust, no tracking, 
and the cat likes it because it's much, much softer underfoot because it feels more natural, feels like being outside environment, so like a bit of a soil type feel to it. I mean, let's face it, if you had to go to toilet with bare feet on gravel, would you like it? Mm-hmm. Um, but also we think about the the health aspect of, of clay cat litter. And anybody who's got a, a cat and use clay cat litter will know that there's quite a lot of dust yes. creating. Yeah. Um, and if you have clumping clay litter, you're likely to have a product that's got sodium bentonite in it. Now, If you were to research that, it would tell you it's a non-toxic chemical, which is in fact true, provided you don't inhale it or ingest it. So we didn't have to go very far to find scientific evidence that there is a reported increase of respiratory cancer in cats, which is being linked to clay cat litter. Wow. Um, also, it, it aggravates and can bring on asthma in in humans. So, all of that coupled up made for it was time for a change. We needed somebody to think a different way. It wasn't just about creating a cat litter that was kinder, smelt less, was cheaper. Was we needed a, a, a fresh way another way, a different way, a solution that met today's requirements where we have to also think of the planet. We have to think, I always say it's back to the voice of the animals again. We're all trying to be more eco-friendly. We're trying to do our bit with recycling. Pressure is becoming to build around the pet industry. Um, And let's face it, none of us are parting with our animals anytime soon so we have to find a better way for them too so Osglue just it's just such a fantastic product and it's it really has tipped the industry on its head and when we launched it last September super super proud to win two gold awards one for innovation during lockdown and I don't know whether that was an award for not eating biscuits or whether it was for the product I'm not sure um but also best cat product uh, in the show, I absolutely blown away, um, and the response has been absolutely tremendous. We currently have over 110 retailers in the UK, worldwide. People coming to us asking about the product. So, uh, at the moment, we have distribution in Spain, Italy, Belgium, France. We're speaking to Germany, America, Canada absolutely phenomenal it really is a fantastic fantastic product and at the end of the day what people want from a cat litter is performance and huskaloo is completely odor free um it's super it's it has been scientifically proven which i will add trying to find the laboratory during the lockdown to test cat litter that wasn't working on a COVID vaccine was not easy. Um, but we, we, we did have it tested and it has it has been scientifically proven to be up to 10 times more absorbent than clay cat litter. So it really, really does perform. Um, it's just, it's, I'm super proud of it. I really, really am. And it, it it is going to disrupt that sector of the market quite considerably. And at the end of the day, in the UK alone, currently two and a half million tonnes of used litter goes to landfill. We can't continue to do that. No, 
No, it is. It's an amazing product. And when I started to look into it, and I was like, "Oh my goodness, this is amazing!" And there, there are videos about it, and it, and you see it sort of come out of the packet and and be fluffed up kind of thing, and you're like. Oh my goodness. And it was just, it really did amaze me. And I was like, right, we have to include this. We can't, we can't have this. So, yeah. Wow. Well done. I mean, and I love the fact that it's your passion that's taking you there. You're not just exploiting the market. You're not exploiting cats, dogs, people, anything. It's, it's good for the animals. It's good for you. We're not going to, you know, skate around that. Yes, it's good for you, but it's good for the animals. It's good for the owners. It's good for the environment. It's just win, 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 isn't it? It is, it is. And, and you're absolutely right to hit on my passion because with everything I do, that is there. Absolutely at the forefront, that is there. And and for me, the environment aspect, the fact that it's a fantastic cat litter, it performs as a fantastic cat litter, but also it's much better for the animal. Yes, yeah. Wow. That's as important. Yeah, excellent. Now, you brought us back to animals. So tell me about your dog, Molly. My oh well yes well my beauties um I mean look I love all and I'd have a house full yeah I really would and I I love I do have a very very special place in my heart for giant breeds they they have a wonderful presence in the home yes big dogs comes big mess but comes big love yeah and they are they have a sense that. They know when you're sad. I think most animals do, but they just, I think because of their size, it, it is, I think it is that size. It, it's that you feel there's another human there for support. Um, and the fact that they have these amazing instincts and, and you look at the giant breeds and, and you look at the jobs they've done over the years, um, some vermins particularly in rescue you can see that instinct in them you yeah. you really can and uh, you know my first boy was Macaulay um I named him after Macaulay Culkin actually yes. from Home Alone um because he got that cute boy naughty boy look really um but it was my second Bernese mountain dog called Harvey who for some bizarre reason had a thing for builders tools yeah. And whenever we had any workmen in, screwdrivers have all go missing and you found them in his bed. Um, and I, I, I can remember one day, actually, that I, I could hear this yelling in the garden. I thought, what on earth is going on out there? And there I saw that it was sort of like a scene from Benny Hill. Um, there was Harvey running around and he'd managed to get a box of screws. You know, the big box has got thousand screws and whatever. And he picked it up just by the lid. <laughs> And he was running around the garden. As he was running, all the screws were th- were coming out the box. The builder was running after him like something like Benny Hill, yeah. literally. Um, it was just so, so funny, so funny. Um, and, of course, as I said earlier, Bernie's mountain dogs, um, obviously they do suffer from, from cancer problems. It keeps their life very short. Um, and I, I had my continental St. Bernard uh, 16 stone. Wow. Uh, big, big lad. Big, big lad. Um, beautiful, beautiful boy. Um, they give so much. Mm. They just give so much. All dogs give, give, give everything. And we all think we've got the best dog and we're all right. We're yes. all right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The best dog for us. Definitely, definitely. I do uh, like big dogs. And I know, I know what you mean about the, the presence of them. 
it's tremendous, isn't it? It's just, and and I mean, if I was to walk down the street now with Molly, you uh, but you, you you get asked the same questions over and over. Is it Beethoven? That's normally number yeah. one. Um, I bet they take a lot of feeding. I bet they take a lot of exercise. And those questions in itself highlight back again to Oggy's drive of education. A giant breed over-exercise is a no-no because of excess wear on the joints. So, it, it, you know, we are back to that education again. And when I look at some of the reasons people give for giant breeds going to, to rescue and you don't thankfully you don't actually see that many but you do see some the number one reason i didn't think they'd get that big oh yes do some research yeah yeah know what you're very frustrating it is is. yeah yeah and macaulay back to macaulay he was my show show dog and he won his cc's and he was just such a handsome boy, oh. such a handsome boy. Um, and he gave me tremendous love and support. He was, he really was the apple of my eye. And and he's always in my mind whenever I do anything. And I look at him and I think it's not just for you. It's for your friends. It's for all of your friends that can't speak. Everything I do is for you and them. Yeah. And that gives me great strength. When things, you know what it's like, got your own business, sometimes you think, oh, dear, the world's against you. Um, and I remember why I'm doing it. And that really keeps me going. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's lovely. That's lo- that's a wonderful legacy from him, isn't it? We were talking before we came on and you, you said something lovely about small dogs. We were saying that I've got a small dog. And you, what's, your, what's your attitude to small dogs? The small dog. Oh. Small dogs, as I say, think of the word small, and the only difference between small and all is the SM at the front. So I always say to people with a small dog, remember, they might be small, but they're all dog. (laughs) And you find that, don't you, with the the, the smaller dogs. Actually, my parents have got um, a Shih Tzu, and she's 15 this year. Oh, wow, yeah. And... She is always engaged with with all my boys, um, and of course you can imagine there's a bit of a size difference, <laughs> just a little. <laughs> but there is no doubt, no doubt, who's the boss in this relationship. Um, and the funny thing is, particularly with Oscar, my my continental son Bernard, um, she would run round, and he'd try and keep up with her, and that was okay until she turned. And of course, being a small dog, she could turn on a sixpence. Poor old Oscar. It's like turning a juggernaut. By the time he turned round, she was back the other end of the garden. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I mean, look, all dogs are wonderful. Yes. Absolutely wonderful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I couldn't couldn't agree more. We, we agree on so many things. I, I'm loving this. Um, I've got one eye on the time. Um, so the, my penultimate question usually is, is there anything else that we haven't had time to say that you really wanted to say? Just... Remember, all of us remember that when we look in the eyes of our dogs, that what we're seeing is the very, very, very definition of friendship, love and loyalty. And we need to earn what that privilege that we have to have that in our lives. And and however we can do that, we should. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. We need to pay it back, don't we? They, they give us so much and we need to be as good to them as they are to us. Absolutely. Where can people find out more about you online? 
So you can both the brands we've spoken about. So with Augie's World, and again, if you're uh, any of your listeners are interested in going and having a look at those recipes and those superfoods that I've suggested, I have created the recipe sheets um, in the bakery, which can be found at www.oggisworld.com. And for Huskaloo, for more information about that, can be found at www.huskaloo.com. And on both sites, you will find lists of stockists and where to buy. Perfect. Thank you very much and the best of luck. Thank you ever so much for having me. I've really enjoyed speaking to you today. And I would love to come back and talk all things of all over again. Definitely. It's a date. We'll, we'll put it in the diary at some point, but definitely. Thank you, Tracy. Isn't she great? I love it when people are inspired by animals and carry that through into action. We have the links Tracy mentioned at dogcastradio.com. That's it for this time. Next time, we'll be back with some wonderful advice for getting a great recall via whistle training and how dog collars, harnesses and leads are being made from marine plastic. I can't wait. If you can't wait either, you can listen to any of our podcasts at dogcastradio.com. And if you've listened to all our episodes, you can stay current with us via our social media. Until next time, look after yourselves and your dogs. Thanks for listening to Dogcast Radio, available from www.dogcastradio.com. That's D-O-G-C-A-S-T radio.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, and wherever you are in the world, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so in a variety of ways. By phone from the UK, you can contact us on 0121-288-0922. From the US, you can contact us on our American number, which is 315-849-2022. From any other country, you'll need your international exit code and then 44121-288-0922. You can contact us on Skype with the ident DogCastRadio. That's all one word, DogCastRadio. By email, you can contact me on julie at dogcastradio.com When contacting us by email, if you have the facilities, please record your questions or comments and send them to us as an audio file. That way we can include them directly in our programme. We can accept most formats, for example, WAV, MP3. All these methods of contacting us can be found on our website, which is www.dogcastradio.com And as ever, the final word goes to Jenny. My dog was my soulmate. We both took naps. We both skipped lunch. We both hated the vacuum. Elaine Boozler. <laughs>